on this episode of Lawrence Talks. I sit down with Eric Kirkendall, president of OWLA, and Ward Lyles, also a resident of Old West Lawrence and a professor in urban planning at the University of Kansas. Our discussion today will focus on the ongoing efforts of the neighborhood and the city to respond to troubling traffic trends within the neighborhood. Eric and Ward answer my questions and hopefully provide some insight into the internal discussions and thinking about how this project will go. As always, Lawrence Talks is brought to you in part thanks to our partners at the University of Kansas and Douglas County Casa. You can find Lawrence Talks on iTunes, Spotify, and online at lawrencetalks.org. I'm your host, David Tomez, and I hope you enjoy. Eric and Ward, thank you both for joining me here today. Thank you for having us. A pleasure. And so to, before we begin, and uh, so our topic today, just to uh, give listeners a, a, another sort of introduction into our conversation, is about the Old West Lawrence uh, initiatives to address safety concerns about incoming traffic uh in, within the neighborhood. Before we get into that topic proper, Eric and Ward, and we can begin with Eric, can you tell or introduce yourselves to to our audience, especially for those who may not be uh, live or are uh, familiar with Old West Lawrence? Well, thank you so much. I'm a, uh, a three-time graduate of KU. My wife and I met when we were both students, moved away for a career, uh, came back for retirement. So I've been back, we've been back uh, in Old West Lawrence, Lawrence well, in East Lawrence and Old West Lawrence for about 12 years and in, in, in Old West Lawrence for 10. And uh, we live on Mississippi Street, right in the core. I'm um, president, uh, president of the Old West Lawrence Association, which has been going for 50 years. So I'm maybe the 50th <laughs> guy to sit in this seat. Um, and um, that's, that's what got me involved in this. Thanks for having me, David. I'm Worth Lyles. I'm a resident over on Indiana Street. I am a parent of three kids who move about the neighborhood, and I'm a professor up at uh, KU in the School Public Affairs and Administration. Um, and I think part of the reason I'm here today is I uh, spent time as transportation planner and um, have worked in local politics in different ways. And um, as this has unfolded, I've tried to be a little more uh, active in our neighborhood kind of online discussions and just um, try my best to, to share what I perceive to, to be um, some of the strengths and weaknesses when you take on uh, or in, in the challenges when you kind of take on an endeavor, like trying to do traffic control on a grid. Okay, th- uh, thank you both. And and so, Eric, just as a as a sort of primer, I, I, one thing I think might be helpful, um, again, for for those listeners that are not uh, within within Lawrence or even for uh, new residents like myself, my wife and I just moved in Old West Lawrence in April of this year um, and have have, uh, you know, done a great deal of walking around, meeting a few of our neighbors. Uh, but we always want to know a little bit more about about the neighborhood because we know there's a good a great deal of history involved with Old West Lawrence. Um, so as to the extent that you can, can you give us a sense of the makeup of, of the neighborhood? 
Um, all of West Lawrence, I, I won't do a great job of it. I'll do my best. Um, no expert on this. Old West Lawrence um, is is comprised of about 550 households and uh, fewer fewer houses, of course, since many houses have multiple households and um, uh, pretty heterogeneous. It's often thought of in in Lawrence as as a really wealthy place, but in fact, it's uh, quite heterogeneous in that in that regard. Um, we have a, a good percentage of home of uh, homeowner-owned homes, and also a good percentage of rentals. And um, similarly, uh, all, all age brackets, lots of retirees like me, and lots of folks with uh, with, with kids like 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 uh, Ward. And um, it, it, it's a it's a great neighborhood. Really, really love. May I just compliment a little bit of what Eric is saying in terms of our, our the way our neighborhood exists from the standpoint Eric has actually a degree in planning as well or public administration so like our, our advantages are our biggest advantage is our biggest disadvantage in terms of our proximity to downtown and KU but historically our neighborhood was built as a walkable neighborhood we have neighbors that you can walk up and down and see on the street where they still have old horse uh, post for people to to put in a horse and some of the some of the older uh, garages in the neighborhood would not fit half the cars on the road today because they were built when cars were way smaller and I mean it's it is a it was built as a walkable neighborhood and its proximity to KU in downtown that was that was a, a big part of it but I mean Eric's point also that I think is important is this, this neighborhood's been through lots of different phases right now it really is although there are blocks that you can drive down and be really kind of awed by the architecture the size the way that homes are maintained um on my block i mean we have homes adjacent to me we have a home from 1860s that is probably 800 square feet and is a rental and we have a duplex on the other side from the 50s that was kind of dropped in and um i think there's more rental on my side of the street of a whole the college student rental, young professional rentals. Uh, it's it's. I just want to make sure that folks understand that the neighborhood, although there are there are some really uh, impressive properties, it's it's really much more diverse in terms of of who we're um, having to think about as as we put this together. And that's that's fairly unique because once you hop Iowa Street and Lawrence here and get west, like most of suburban America, homes were built where developers built almost all homes within a few hundred square feet of each other in terms of their size. And they're almost all single family homes and they're mostly auto oriented and they're fundamental, uh, fundamental orientation. They don't have corner stores and gas station kind of right at the edge. They don't have a bar embedded in the middle of their neighborhood. So the, the traffic challenges are really different for an older neighborhood built before the automobile was dominant. Yeah. And, and to that, to kind of to that point where, uh, I think right next door or, and on our street, we also have a duplex and some rental, some rental properties. We uh, you guys may know this. We live not too far from the Little Red Schoolhouse, and so that's. I imagine that's one of the other. So we have daycares, we have family-oriented uh, sort of establishments that are also here too. Absolutely. I mean, there's yeah. So you have a co-op, a co-op daycare across the street from a historically African American church, next to a mix of houses and around the corner, a funeral home. And then we back up to a Burger King. It's most of America since 1950 is built by, by really differentiating land uses. And you just don't get the kind of mix. That also means that we've got a lot of different kind of people uh, or for a lot of different purposes 
that people are coming into and through our neighborhood um, compared to most other neighborhoods uh, um, west of Iowa Street in Lawrence. It's just a really, really different dynamic. It's not unique. Um, there are other neighborhoods in Lawrence and in the country that are like this, but it's um, it's it's not typical for America. Yeah, no, we uh, again, as I as I mentioned, we we love the neighborhood. It, it's I think prior to this, we, we we've never walked as much as we have since moving to the neighborhood. And and I think that's that's brought a great deal of of good health and and other sort of uh, perspective to to and living here. So that's it's been uh, it's been great since we've loved it so far. Now, can you in, in getting a little bit more to issue at hand. I think it, it's important, at least to, I think it's important to point out that this has been an ongoing sort of concern. This isn't sort of uh, in 2021, uh, we started to worry about this. This is uh, from my understanding from uh, the various pieces of information you shared with uh, not just myself, but also the neighborhood um, that what is going currently going on has been an ongoing sort of project and uh, responding to. Um, can you give us a sort of timeline and general uh, background about this, this, this whole process? I sure can. The uh, Neighborhood Association has been around, I believe, 55 years at this point. And by all, by all accounts, uh, traffic in the neighborhood has been an issue um, for most of that period of time, at least 40 years from people I talk to that, that personally know. It's been a concern. It's been a we're 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 uh, geographically uh, located um, kind of unfortunately. We're we're between a state highway, Sixth Street, and campus, and um, we're we're close to downtown. Um, and of course, both KU and downtown are, are real car centric places. So we're we're uh, and and we're built on a grid grid street pattern, which which. Neighborhoods aren't built on anymore because if you are, you get lots and lots of cross traffic. So uh, over the decades, uh, attempts have been made to resolve those problems. Uh, some people thought uh, bricking the streets would help. Mississippi Street was bricked uh, at, at some point. Um, it didn't help very much. Other, other times, uh, the city has thought, oh, more, or, or the neighbors have thought, oh, more stop, stop signs, more speed bumps, those sorts of things. But nevertheless, um, the problem uh, still exists. We we did um, when when um, when I started in, in my my role with the um, Old West Launch Association, we we uh, at one of our annual meetings uh, queried everybody who came, what what's your biggest issues? And the biggest issue was traffic. It's number one in Old West Lawrence. We followed that was uh, January of that was January this year. We followed that with a uh, survey this summer. Asking people, what are your traffic problems? And I think 45 or 50 residents replied and uh, gave us a good idea. So um, at, at the meeting um, in, in January, we, uh, we set up a team, a traffic management team, to start addressing the problem. And about that time, the city announced their um, neighborhood traffic management program, which is intended to, um, to, to, uh, stop cut through traffic or slows cut through traffic down and to slow traffic generally. So we put a team together that worked with city engineers and the city brought some contractors in to help help them do that. And we looked at different configurations for you know what would resolve the problem. And 
And that's how we've ended up in those pilot plants. I could back up a little bit. It was a competitive um, uh, competitive process to get into the pilot test. At least one other neighborhood applied, and we were fortunate enough to, to, to win the competition. Uh, uh, maybe that's good and bad. We're, 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 also the, uh, we're also getting to learn the process and helping the city figure out you know, how to do it next time. Can you kind of share, uh, if you have insight to this, what's so, what were some of the other, maybe, because I think one big question people have is, uh, you know, what were some of the options, other options that were available that, or non-traditional options that were available to us? The, the number one, well, I guess I'll discuss the more minor ones first. Um, other possibilities include using uh, speed bumps or speed tables. And um, um, I can't think of the name, but the, the, the uh, circular things you drive around, we could have used those. But those Roundabouts just, or traffic circles. Thank you. And the engineers say they, they, those wouldn't really work. More stop signs are not a good traffic control device at, at all. Um, people don't, don't, um, don't pay any attention to signs that they don't think are really warranted. But the biggest, um, so the, the, the minor fixes were judged just not workable. We don't have enough space to put in traffic islands without taking taking land from from, from homeowners, which we didn't even want to approach. The um, but the big option that we rejected pretty quickly uh, after seeing seeing a drawing and thinking about the ramifications, we're closing the neighborhood off uh, at certain streets so that you couldn't uh, say turn from Sixth Street into Old West Lawrence at at, at many points. Uh, and, and the same at Ninth Street, uh, and we rejected that because it took for a lot of reasons. It, it would have locked in the neighborhood, locked in the neighborhood, uh, taken too many parking spots, hurt the businesses around us, and much, much more. It just wasn't suitable. So this, um, we reached this this solution of, of median and diagonal barriers after after trying out some other things. Yeah, I think I think that that point about the option that you dismissed that sort of almost immediately was uh, kind of addresses this one concern that I, that I saw about making our, making our neighborhood appear closed off or uh, maybe sort of elitist by, by saying that we don't want others to, to come in. That seems to that. I think your response there seems to address that, that concern is like, you're not necessarily trying to close off the the neighborhood from other, from people accessing it, especially if we want to, appear to be a welcoming neighborhood. It's, it's true. And I, I should turn, I should turn the, the mic over to, to uh, Ward real quickly on this because he's got more expertise than me. But when I look out at the literature, I see it's a very common solution for neighborhoods where folks are getting off the highway and driving through is to restrict entry into the neighborhood. And sometimes it's even restricted to residents, uh, but we didn't want to do anything that or you can probably talk more about that well there, there's two instances of that in lawrence right now one if you head out sixth street from iowa heading west very soon uh within a mile there's a blockade so you can't turn on to schwartz drive to uh the north it blocks off the neighborhood and that's a fairly homogenous in terms of price point house size neighborhood um they have big wide streets that actually could accommodate more cars than, than it does. But I don't blame residents for wanting to not have cars going really quickly down their roads. The other example is a much more recent one. I've only lived in, in Lawrence eight years. We came here for the university, um, but it's been in since I've been here. And that is at the, the top of what's called Naismith 
uh, road um, on campus where it intersects uh, with kind of Jayhawk Boulevard extended. Right now there's the McLean's coffee shop there, but there's a barrier. You used to be able to drive uh, straight to the west there and you would cut through um, the Hillcrest neighborhood. And it was, it's a very affluent block of homes, mainly from say the forties and fifties and sixties that, and it was a really, it's a very useful pedestrian and bicycle cut through route from Daisy Hill, where, which is where the student dorms are for first year students. It was a very efficient cut through to come through there over to, to the main part of campus. Um, but it was also a very convenient cut through for people driving, students driving. So students were using it as a very effective cut through between um, one side of campus where the residences are and where more classrooms and the football stadium and things like that are. And that was shut down. I mean, it just it shut down and it's people have adjusted and it's there um, as a blockade to, to cut down, to to eliminate essentially cut through traffic. There are examples around the country where neighborhoods that are adjacent to destinations and KU is a huge destination. It's a very car oriented campus compared to to most big university campuses um, that I've been around. It's, and then we're near downtown and although mass streets, very walkable, our downtown actually has a lot of parking. And so that's, that's a challenge we face because the volume of cars coming. Um, we don't want to limit the volume of cars coming to, to homes or businesses in the neighborhood, um, but the the volume of cars coming to downtown and to KU, um, if anything, they're going to rise in the years ahead as more and more people, bo- baby boomers retire into condos close to downtown, their apartment buildings coming in closer to KU that are being built all the time. And these days, most students, this probably wasn't true when when Eric was at KU and back when I was in college, you did not assume that you went to college with a car. Um, But now it's much, much, much more common whether you're really affluent and can afford to bring your car or if you need a car to make it to your job to pay for college. And so there's just a lot. This neighborhood wasn't built for the volume of cars and the streets weren't built for the volume of cars that are here and frankly are probably going to increase in the years ahead, which and I'll just say that I'm a proponent of more density. I don't want the city to go out sprawling farther and farther. I would prefer more efforts that encourage walking, biking, and using transit rather than single occupancy, short destination car trips. Since I've been doing this and talking uh, to folks around uh, in Lawrence, especially when it comes to the political races that that have occurred since I've been here, been here for about six years now, there's been this general interest in in following where the data following the data basically and i imagine so I, you know my wife and i have noticed a great deal of uh, speeding down our road from from time to time for us that's maybe anecdotal so i imagine for when you're making this sort of decision about what to to do next you want to follow the data and i and i see that that's been done and so i wonder eric if you could kind of share a little bit about what the data has borne out uh, since since uh, the study took place. I can. I don't have it in front of me, so it's going to be kind of a high level view. But um, speaking of the local streets in, in Old West Lawrence, um, the highest volume is uh, is Mississippi Street, and that that has uh, twelve hundred cars a day on, it, so it's a pretty high volume. Um, the, uh, Tennessee Street, which borders the neighborhood, has numbers I think in the 
three to four thousand range. So you know, quite a bit more as as it should. Um, uh, and some of the streets in Lawrence are not in Old West Lawrence. Are not bad. They're in the they're in the the four hundred range. But um, the the city collected data for uh, three weeks. I think one week on each street. They're going to collect. Um, that's the, their before data, of course. They're going to collect after data in a, in a bit uh, to see see the impact of this. Uh, but I, I, my my observation so far is already it seems to cut 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 through traffic down quite a bit. Um, I, at, just a, as an aside, I set a camera up on a friend's house down the street to watch the um, the uh, diagonal uh, median diverter, uh, the diagonal diverter at Seventh and Mississippi Street, and I watched it for about a half hour this morning. And after I did that, I realized, you know, I may have seen almost as many pedestrians as I did cars. So uh, people in baby carriages, people with the dogs, people walking. I, I, I'm hoping that's a, a portent of things to come. But you might have looked at the data more carefully than I. Yeah, and I, I while you were talking, I, I pulled it up. Um, I, I cheated that way. Um, I, as somebody, though, that's teaching a research class for for. For professional planners for right now, I want to say that anecdotes aren't bad and they're not untrue. And I know you're not implying that, David, but that is one thing that I push back against anecdotes only because that can they, those can be outliers. But anecdotes are real, um, especially when multiple people share them and point to them. Story and and frankly, stories are much more persuasive than data for most humans. And by data, I mean larger statistical data, that kind of stuff. Um, engineers, there's, there's, engineers are never going to have a lack of data. I'll just tell you that. I've been working with them off and on for 20 some years. They're going to collect the data. And so for our neighborhood, Eric, um, you, did, you did fairly well. Mississippi looking at about 1,200, 1200 trips a day wherein the average speed is 26 miles per hour and um, the what they call the 85th percentile. So if you think about this, this is like every sixth car. So five cars are somewhere <clears throat> below uh, uh, 31 miles per hour, but one in six cars is going 31 miles per hour on Mississippi Street. Um, on my street, we get about 500 trips a day, and we're looking at fairly similar data. Tennessee, in terms of speeds, Tennessee sees 6,000, 7,000 trips a day, and the average um, the average speed is 34 approach, and then the the one in six is doing almost 40. And the reason this is super important, and, and we're focused in this pilot study on what's happening within the neighborhood. But I think one of the good things that will happen is after we do this pilot inside the neighborhood, it's going to force attention also on the fact that if you wanted to build a dangerous street, you would do you would be hard pressed to build something more dangerous than Sixth Street. In America, we built a ton of them, but they're just really, really dangerous to have five lanes with a middle turn lane and lots of cuts in and out. Um, parts of Ninth Street around our neighborhood have been reconfigured, but we have, we're surrounded on three sides by roads that are really, uh, really, really, frankly, dangerous. Um, and so I think if we begin to this, this, and this will probably happen for other neighborhoods, is if you begin to tweak things inside the neighborhood, it affects things around the neighborhood. Um, and, and these, the neighborhoods don't exist in isolation. Um, I want to just say that in terms of the data, 
for those who aren't aware, there's some good graphics out there you can find them. But, but if you were hit by a car going 20 miles per hour as a pedestrian or cyclist, you have about a nine in 10 chance of survival with pretty full recovery. By the time a car is going 40 miles per hour, it flips. You're looking at one or two chance in 10 of living and having a full recovery. And so that difference between having cars, I mean, we can post speed limits of 20 miles per hour wherever we want, but people drive the speed they feel safe. It's why when you're on the interstate, almost no one follows the speed limit is because they've built the interstate to actually be safe at 85 or 90 miles per hour. Um, with the sight lines and the width of the lanes and, and the way they've engineered the curves. Um, in a neighborhood like ours, if they're big, long streets and you have good sight lines, um, you can put 20 mile per hour signs up, but that's not what people will drive. And so for all of us in a, a neighborhood that was built to walk and people want to walk around where they live here or passing through, um, a car at 30 um, is, is life-threatening potentially, um, whereas a car at 20 is much less so. And, and that's non-trivial if we want to have walkable neighborhoods. And, and if I could jump in and share a little bit about peak speeds, um, which are, of course, a, a real concern if you live on a street. The peak um, speed recorded during this, uh, this before um, data collection inside the neighborhood on a local street was 59 miles an hour. And that was in the middle of the afternoon. On, on one of our little local streets. The peak recorded on Tennessee, also middle of the afternoon, was an astonishing 80 miles an hour. And, and that's frankly one of, one, sometimes one of the advantages of those uh, circuitous suburban streets is that it's almost impossible to do that. You can go fast and generally pedestrians and bicyclists are, are less present because the density is lower and they're separated often by uh, not as many sidewalk crossings, but it's really hard on a really winding suburban street to hit 80. Um, But on a straight street and you can, um, unfortunately, I spend a lot of time on my bike. You can paint all the bike lanes on the road you want and put up all the stop signs. But if somebody's distracted, that lane, that, that painted mark or that stop sign does not stop that car from hitting me or my child or someone else. Whereas that is, um, if you have a physical barrier, one, it, the, the driver sees it in a way that they don't necessarily see a pedestrian. And two, um, it slows them down. And if it doesn't slow them down the first time, it will certainly slow them down the second time they come through. There's one other thing you, you let off by saying, and I've seen it, and then I think Erica said this too, and I know it was a neighborhood concern, was trying to reduce incoming traffic and cut through traffic. I will say as a transportation-oriented planner in parts of my career and as somebody who lives here that's real but it's based on to some degree anecdote that we observe people cutting through the neighborhood at high speeds Um, but the data does not necessarily prove when it's collected like this that the speeders and the stoplight site run stop sign runners are actually people from outside their neighborhood my guess is watching traffic on my street it is, but we don't have that absolutely. And I know from doing safe routes to school work, wherein you pick a zone around a school and you try to create more walkable, bikeable routes for kids that don't have to have adults with them. I mean, basically, if you build a, a, a neighborhood and make the route safe that a five-year, a kindergartner can go to school without an adult, it's safe for everybody. And but when you do safe routes for school interventions and you start collecting data, you discover very quickly that 
50, 75%, 95% of the bad driving behaviors are the people coming to and from the school to drop children. And so I am not entirely convinced because, well, I don't know that there is a way to be convinced, but I, I'm, I'm quite confident that some of the driving behaviors we would like to curb include us. Um, it may not be the most egregious ones. I would like to believe we wouldn't do that in our neighborhood, but um, but I don't think everybody, I, th- I think that the speeds being brought down probably will be bringing down speeds of us as well. Yeah. And I think uh, that was, I think that's one of the concerns that I, that I saw uh, raised too is, uh, yeah, I want to be careful with my, my language too. I don't want to necessarily get the sense that we're in a sense demonizing for lack of a better word, outside uh, drivers or drivers that are coming into the neighborhood. We ourselves are people living within the neighborhood are very much with, can be within or are, are also within that uh, data set of drivers that are not driving as safe, uh, as safely as they should be. And yeah, so yeah, my definitely don't want to give that, give that impression. So Ward there, in your response just now, and I think you've, you've mentioned it in elsewhere, there's a sort of appeal to human psychology when putting these plans together. I was wondering that as, as someone who does research in this and, uh, and has been involved in the practical application of, of these plans, uh, not these specific plans, but plans generally, um, how much is human psychology taken into account with these, with these sort of initiatives? I mean, I, I can't, so, so to clarify, I, while I'm supportive of this initiative, I haven't been part of the planning and I've only really gotten more involved in the last week or two. And frankly, part of that was based on the psychology that change is hard. And if you disrupt the way that people do something very habitual, right, going to and from the their home, if you move somebody's coffee mug that they're used to getting to start the day, right? Relocate their shoes. These things, they're not huge, but they can be really disruptive and frustrating for people. And so from a human psychology standpoint, it was clear that there was going to be a lot of both confusion and um, frustration. So I wanted to jump in and, and help people try, one, to understand some of the, the technical issues here and, and two, as best I could. And also to, to make sure that people recognize that a bunch of people worked hard to do this and with good intent um, because it's easy to hop on social media from a psychology standpoint and rip into things and why it doesn't work and all this. And it's a pilot study. Um, But from the psychology of driving standpoint, most of the things at this point, traffic interventions are not just an engineer sitting around with other engineers in a room and cooking up uh, what seems like a way to maximize flow because we did that through the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and we destroyed neighborhoods. We built unsafe communities. And we're now, unfortunately, a lot of traffic engineering and planning is retrofitting um, uh, retrofitting our, our cities and suburbs to not be built for cars. I mean, I one of the analogies I use is the psychology of uh, the movie cars, the Pixar franchise, wherein Lightning McQueen's a car, an anthropomorphized car and loves to drive around. And anywhere that Lightning McQueen is going to be happy is going to be unpleasant for a a human being to be standing also. Um, So when we think about it this way, if, if, if Lightning McQueen can see a nice straight road without a lot of things that could potentially uh, jump out at him without a lot of barriers. He's going to drive as fi- as fast as he as he feels safe. 
Um, he may or may not be texting and miss the stop sign. He may be in a rush. Um, and so our brains naturally just revert to what we feel is a safe speed. Um, these barriers, uh, one of the things they do is disrupt the, the field of view. So you're seeing them in front of you and they're tall enough with the signs and they're unusual enough that you're not going to just slow down a hair like you would for a speed bump. In Lawrence, the data shows three to four miles per hour reduction in speed from speed bumps. That's not bad, but it doesn't get you what you need. And if you want to build a speed bump high and or disruptive enough to uh, to really slow people down, you're going to be breaking cars. And neighbors aren't going to want that either. And you, d- you need got to get buses and fire trucks and garbage trucks through as well. So I, I don't know if that's precisely answering your question, except that there is no lack of money in our nation invested in our transportation system. And although most of it goes to laying concrete and doing things like that, enough of it spills over to research that we have studied the heck out of driving behaviors. And these interventions are not pulled from thin air just because somebody thought of a clever way uh, to, to disrupt people's traffic. They're based on understandings of, of what people are likely to do, including if you put in stop signs all over the place, they're going to begin to roll them more and more because there's not an actual disruption there, or they're going to hit them, slow down real, real uh, slow down a bit and then accelerate. Like, I mean, that's a, one of our neighbors has observed like, wow, I did not anticipate that noise would be, would be one of the impacts it is so much quieter now. This is a neighbor lives across me. I can hear cars from inside my house revving up, or I could previously, all the time. They're coming to the stop sign, they're braking, and then they're gunning it to race to the next stop sign. There's just there's less of that happening now because of the way that we're diverting traffic um, within the neighborhood, at least not on, on some streets. I think there are some places we're going to have to do some targeted adjustments because people are getting frustrated, especially early on. They're coming through one of these diverters and then they're gunning it to make up for lost time, road rage mentality stuff. It's not perfect right now, but it is slowing stuff down a lot and in, in curbing some of these behaviors that are entirely predictable. I think I mentioned to both of you prior to our recording today, I, a lot of my interest or my background is in philosophy. So taking a look at ideas of rationality and, and decision-making that's what I'm sort of uh, very much interested in. And so I asked that question in part because I, I wanted to highlight just how much, at least in, as you point out, Ward, contemporary uh, discussions about uh, traffic diversions and traffic sort of policies take into account uh, to some degree human psychology or the way people will behave if we do X or if we do Y. Absolutely. And, and um, I was going to go there earlier knowing your philosophy background, but um, to dork out for a second, there's, there is, there's a phenomenon called attribution error. And this is basically the notion that, oh, I'm speeding through the neighborhood, but I'm only doing it because I'm a few minutes late and my kid had a really stressful day and somebody else slowed me down and you're rationalizing why you're doing something. But then somebody else that is speeding through your neighborhood is a horrible human being. Right. And they're they're they're, they have no they have callous disregard for other lives, so on and so forth. Um, So that's, again, where it comes back to to we do have to be conscious that that some of these behaviors are probably us. 
and be a little more reflective on when we get annoyed. Are we really annoyed now because we're not able to do things that we're cutting the corners literally or figuratively earlier? The other thing that's important in terms of what you're talking about is rationality is I'm concerned that there may be pockets like pockets of houses, not blocks even, but pockets of houses, five, 10 here or there, that the new configuration does lead to uh, an un an unbalanced amount of diversion, right? Some people only have to turn, I only have to go a, a tiny bit out of my way. Other people might have to go farther. Um, and there's subtle nuances, like depending on which way your garage angles to the alley may affect which way you can come out of the, uh, the, the alley and what road you're being pushed onto. A lot of those can be addressed with some just creative rerouting. Um, but there's the, the where the rationality piece is, um, our blocks are 0.05 miles wide east to west, and they're 0.1 miles wide north-south. So to do a complete circle around a block, a full inconvenience is to drive 0.3 miles out of your way. Um, at 10 miles per hour, that takes you one minute and 40 seconds or so. Is that an inconvenience? Yes, if you add it up over the course of the year, you might lose an hour or two of time. Um, Compared to the amount of time that you spend sitting at the main street stoplight on six, which is one of the slowest cycling stoplights in town. It's just the, the, the we're not very good at big numbers. Um, we're not very good at our estimation processes in our brains. It's just not what we evolved to do. And so it's easy to get really frustrated with disruptions and to feel like um, we are being um, something is unfair for us to benefit other people. Um, so, I mean, it, it, these are all natural reactions. They're very human reactions and they're all emotional. Um, hopefully the pilot gives us time to one, figure out which things are really, which things are really un inequitable or unfair or just really inconvenient. And I think within a few weeks, a lot of people have figured out, oh, if I turn one block earlier, I make it home the exact same distance in the exact same amount of time, it just required a change of habit. And, and uh, Eric, kind of going back, uh, one. So there was there was this one concern that I know has been raised, and that I think will be raised for not just this initiative, not just this this sort of pilot program, and the the way that uh, these particular barriers and diverters have uh, come out, um, is the concern about how it makes the neighborhood and aesthetically look. While at first I was sort of, uh, admittedly, I put a great deal of, or I, I lowered the weight on that, uh, that sort of concern as, as, a, as a concern that we should take, in, take, take into account. But as a neighborhood, I, I did see that as part of our charter, uh, one of our, uh, one of the initiatives of the old, of OWL Association is to preserve the aesthetic makeup of uh, of the neighborhood. So I was wondering if you could speak to a little, a little bit about, about that concern. I, I share that concern. Um, the devices we have right now are temporary. They're, they're plastic blocks, basically. And um, the signage is a work in progress as the city tries to um, stop um, some of the more egregious behavior, running, you know, running stop signs at the diagonal barrier. And not being a designer and not being an engineer, I don't know what the best possible outcome is, but I do know that those of us on the 
the executive committee of, of West Lawrence Association are committed to uh, having our, our residents help with the design, have input into the design, and hopefully coming up with a design that works for us. I think, honestly, that the answer to that question is going to feed into the yes or no decision that we as a neighbor have to make. Can we make these look good enough that we can tolerate it? Is that is that trade-off between you know extra drive drive time and, and maybe something not being as pretty as we wish? Is it worth it for the for the safety and the peace and quiet or not? And I honestly don't know the answer to that, but I can tell you my bias. Um, I'm I'm um, I'm a brick opponent. Uh, Old West Lawrence is beautiful partly because of the brick sidewalks and the brick streets. My thinking is if these can be brick or look like they're brick, um, blend in better in terms of tone and, and feel and look, um, maybe maybe we can make this work. Um, but, but I honestly don't know what the best is that's possible at this point. And in, in, in terms of uh, one other sort of concern that I saw that I want to also raise and, and have you speak to a bit as well, because I know I think there's some, been some ongoing discussions about this issue. Um, and I don't think and I definitely don't think this is necessarily um, I don't want to make it sound like I'm putting this on the neighborhood for for this uh, issue coming up. Um, but I know there's been some concerns about how. Uh, emergency services are going to have access and and uh, to the neighborhood and respond promptly to to emergency emergencies here but but generally uh, what can you say about those who are worried about emergency services uh, I, I think the bottom line is that um, the um, the city engineers would not allow that to happen neither with the, with the fire department or the police department um, they've been coordinating since since, since at least the, the beginning of the install, uh, fire trucks have been out uh, trying out the, um, the diverters to see can they drive over. I'm okay. I've seen firemen out, you know, underneath the trucks taking taking a look. So I know that the, the coordination is going on and the work is going on, and I'm 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 quite certain that um, that the city would not allow, allow this to happen. Plus the uh, Old West Lawrence Association is going to be paying close attention to it. We are, um, we, we're lucky, we're really close to emergency services, um, but we'll, we'll have the numbers at some point and, and, and see what impact this has. Okay, at this point, at this point, I think it's okay. Yeah, I want to affirm and extend that a little bit. I, I mean, within planning, the thing I really study now is natural disasters or natural hazards and climate change and these kind of things. And the emergency services field um, just full stop won't, they have a lot, understandably, they have a lot of ability to veto things, to ask for adjustments. Um, I mean, you can, part of the reason, frankly, that a lot of suburban areas have such wide roads and sometimes cul-de-sacs seem huge for, uh, for a relatively small number of houses is, fire departments have often owned huge fire trucks and they won't need room to turn them around. Um, so it's affected our land use in places. Um, that is among the concerns I have about this install that is very, very low. Although I understand why it scares, um, people and it can feel alarming to think about that. Um, it's a very, very, very 
um, low probability, although high consequence event that somebody is going to see a change in emergency services. And just to even put a finer point, I think on what Eric was saying is we live, the farthest person in our neighborhood, I think lives 10 blocks from the fire station, which is less than a mile. Even if, I mean, we're not doing this, but even if we put barriers of entrance to bunches of places in the neighborhood and did these diverters, we still would have I would, I, I mean, I would venture to guess, and there's good data on this. I would, my strong hypothesis would be that we would still have exceedingly low response times compared to the typical American. I mean, it's just we. I don't think that that this is an an issue that um, is is one that's that is uh, going to have any longstanding impact on the neighborhood. Well, before. Before I let you both go, I don't want, I, I, again, this, I think this, uh, this conversation is just one among many that I think is going to happen over the course of this period. And, um, and uh, certainly there are questions here that I could have, uh, that we could have gone more into, but before we end our conversation today, what are some things that you, you definitely want to, uh, listeners to take away from, from our discussion? Well, if, if I could start out, I, I would remind everybody that we are doing this, we're undergoing this pilot test because traffic is the number one concern in the community. We have lots of children and older adults, and I'll, I'll raise my own hand, um, out on the streets all the time. Um, we're a very walkable, bikeable community, and we're doing this to try and keep ourselves safe. And in the end, the question is going to be, is the trade-off? Of increasing our safety worth uh, the inconvenience or the the uh, aesthetic downsides of these devices, and the community is going to make that decision. I mean, one take home is that Old West Lawrence is not unique in this. Um, almost every neighborhood in America, traffic is a top concern, and. Um, Another take home is almost any place that's going to be really good for Lightning McQueen, a place that's going to be pleasurable to drive through is almost never going to be pleasurable to walk, bike or sit in your yard. And so there's a balancing act there. There's just almost no way to make it good for cars and good for people outside of cars. So it's a trade off. Um, I think that one of the things that I hope both neighbors and people across the city will um, I have some appreciation for is, is not just Eric, but Marin and other people in our neighborhood and the city engineers who um, have put a ton of work into this. And it is, there's an upside to being the pilot. And some people have questioned like, Oh, did, did Al get to go first? Cause it's really kind of a wealthy neighborhood. Well, we've already dispelled some of that, that it is not uniformly a wealthy neighborhood Two, um, this is probably going to have impact in one way or another for almost any other neighborhood you look around the city, there's there are neighborhoods out there that have little roundabouts that are 18 inches high that do very little. Um, there are places that have speed bumps or other things that don't have a huge impact. There's no doubt that what's happened in our neighborhood in the last six days has had a huge impact. Sorting it out now is the question. Um, and how to how to adapt it. Um, I hope that it's not full scale uh, rejected by our by our neighbors, um, because I don't think that bodes well for other neighborhoods in our city 
if um, if we can't make this work, because we're very fortunate to have a very active neighborhood association. And we're very fortunate to have a, a diverse group of people who really um, can represent a lot of different perspectives and be active. I mean, that's a privilege to have so many people who can be so active. So I hope we can figure out something that can be a workable model. Um, and that we can be honest about what didn't go well. Installing them right before the KUK State game was probably in retrospect, not the best move, but people make mistakes every day and we have to learn from them. Although, I mean, you say that, but I could see that a number of uh, decent insights could, could were made due to the amount of traffic that, that came through during that game about how people would generally treat. Cause that's, that's an important takeaway to take into account too, is like, how is this going to affect game day situations? I, I agree. And to some degree, like we've seen the worst it can get barring like some sort of apocalypse. Right. I mean, like that's about as many cars as you can physically fit in this neighborhood. Almost all of them confused about where to go. Um, are the people in them? Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a great learning opportunity. Um, I don't think it's indicative of what day in and day out life will be like in our neighborhood and many other neighborhoods, frankly, don't share that. There are a couple, but a lot of neighborhoods just almost never see an event with that much traffic from out of outside coming in parking and then becoming pedestrians in a huge flux. And that's a really pretty phenomenal problem to have to have navigated the first go round. Um, but I mean, it gave us all a lesson for sure. There's, there's an old adage, uh, when you're an architect, the first time you build a house for your enemy, the second time for a friend and the third time for yourself. So for better and worse, we are the neighborhood that is having the enemy install <laughs> this and trying to figure out like, or having, having, uh, having this experiment. I mean, that's really, we are an experiment right now. So with, with, with that, all that in mind, thank you both again uh, for joining me uh, for this conversation. Um, again, as, as you mentioned, Ward and, and Eric, that uh, these conversations are going to be ongoing. I think both of you uh, especially, especially have done a great job of responding to all the concerns that at least are on the Facebook page for, for the neighborhood. Look forward to, as, as a resident myself, to see what, what comes of everything uh, as, as we proceed. So thank you both. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.